broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, on Caldonia's Crossroads Radio. You are now live from the Midnight Circus. This is Lahamadu, and I've got a great show for you today. Today, our featured artist is Sugar Roots. They got a brand new release out. We'll be listening to tracks from that. And of course, we'll be talking with the band at the top of the hour. You're not going to want to miss that interview. Now, this is the voice of Indie Blues. This is the show that brings you nothing but currently touring artists who are out there creating new original music rooted in the blues. We embrace the diversity of music that always has and still is being created from those roots. Now, if you get a chance, stop by our website at makingascene.org. We got some great articles, CD reviews, artist interviews, and so much more. In the meantime, I have got some great new music I can't wait to get you introduced to. And some great new artists I know you're going to love. And of course, I aim to misbehave. Girl, she's my kind of girl. 
home's coming. You can just pull up your shows, curl up in a duvet, maybe even draw up a bath and see where the night takes you. That sounds real nice.
told me on his dying bed Said give up your heart, never lose your head You came along and what did I do? I lost my heart and my head went to Hey. 
like an echo The question keeps repeating Why did I put myself up on The daggers in your eyes
changes it all. Baby, mine a way too hard to break 
gonna rock these shades Gonna scream my name Make you shout now, honey Gonna make you whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Now, here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Sugar Roots. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. Selfish and cruel, I truly Wrathful as winter, also true. A broken heart. Such a very dreadful thing to me Always want to be there next to you The winter's rain is so damn cold Bundle up before you Just to warm your precious heart February's always rough on you I always want to be there next to you Here come fall 
This time of year always makes me blue
And that was the Sugar Roots from their brand new release. And we got Chad from the Sugar Roots on the line right now. Hey, Chad, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Now, this is the first time you've come on our show, and we always like to give our fans an opportunity to get to know who you are as an artist, and the best way to do that is your story, where you came from, how you got to where you are today, not only you, but how did the group get together. So give us the story of Sugar Roots and of you, Chad. All right, I can do that for you. Uh, My name is Chad Rupp. Uh, I was born and raised in Portland, Oregon, and uh, when I was coming up uh, through the years, in my teenage years, my brother was very, very uh, influential on me and uh, helped me to to get into some blues music because uh, I had a I had a love for blues the first time I heard it, and as I uh, got a little bit older and uh, got into my teenage years. Uh, I started getting to know some of the the Portland uh, local legendary blues musicians. Um, uh, and I would stand outside places to, to listen to them. And, and we started having the, the Waterfront Blues Festival uh, in Portland, uh, where there were all these musicians would play. And uh, uh, just over the, over the last 30 years, I just really... Uh, been influenced by those who I would call professors. Uh, you know, I, uh, my friends uh, Norman Sylvester, Lloyd Jones, uh, Curtis Salgado, um, Paul DeLay, Jim Meesey, uh Duffy Bishop. There are so many uh, wonderful musicians that uh, have been a part of Portland's uh, blues legacy. Uh, from the early 90s and uh, mid-80s and early 90s on, even back into the 70s with uh, uh, Brown Sugar, which was a legendary local band here at Blues. Um, I have to say that uh, over the last 20 years, I, I've been performing off and on with uh, several different musicians. Uh, I'm a multi-instrumental uh, musician myself. I play guitar. Uh, I play keys. I play harmonica, and um, uh, I also am a a vocalist. And I've been fortunate uh, because I have all these wonderful influences here. I have learned uh, from some of those uh, influences personally, and and I have them as friends in my life, and I'm so very thankful for that. Uh, In the last few years, I've been uh, running a jam session, and I have come across a, a bunch of uh, veteran musicians. My friend Timmer Blakely playing bass. Uh, my friend Chandler Bowerman playing drums. Uh, and my friend Samuel Gendler uh, playing keys. And my friend Jason Thomas playing guitar. Uh, they have all played with uh, uh, some very well-established acts. And, and I've known... Tim are on this scene for the last 30 years and what he's been doing, playing with uh, other musicians. We all got together and we've been playing at this jam session and uh, and JT had called me up and uh, there is what is called the International Blues Challenge that goes on and uh, so blues associations from around the world uh, put on a competition uh, to send a representative 
to Memphis uh, in, and to go and compete in what's called the International Blues Challenge. And uh, this year, uh, my friend JT had called me up. He says, you know, you should, you should go and do this. We've been playing together a lot. You know, I, uh, it's your turn to go out there and, uh, and try to do uh, a little bit of this Portland blues music that, uh, that we so much love. So after some thought, we all got together and, and uh, started writing some tunes. We wrote uh, an album of tunes in about three weeks and got it recorded and onto uh, CD and out to everybody in six weeks. It's about how long it took for us. Uh, but we got this band together because we've been jamming together in the first place, and, and we wanted to go to the International Blues Challenge and uh, uh, take the act there with original tunes and uh, bring our music uh, possibly to festivals this year uh, during the summertime. So the International Blues Challenge is uh, going to happen May 5th through the 10th in Memphis, Tennessee, we're also in the running for a blues music award for our uh, uh, for our album, and uh, that's something that uh, that we're we're hoping we do well. You never know what's going to happen in this world, and if it's uh, it's good, it's good. Okay, and I think it's pretty good. Well, but let's, anyway, let's talk that. about the uh, the new release. Um, when you sit down to start writing the songs for this. What is your process that that kind of gets you to tap into the muse? Well, it took me a long time to find what it was that, that was my thing when I sat down to write it to. And uh, my friend Ben Rice had, had given me some some pointers and and gave me, gave me some ideas of what he did uh, when he was writing a tune. I'd just been blocked for years and years. And uh, he said that he would write down 25 titles to songs a day and then sit down and write for an hour, just write about whatever was going on in his head. And uh, that I started off doing that sort of thing where I would just write, uh, write titles down to songs. And then I kind of came across a, an exercise that that helped me to uh, really start pushing some some actual substance out. And what I was getting was because I, I started trying to write a song in an hour. Now, that song could be horrible at the end of an hour, but there would be a song at the end of that hour. And so I did that for a couple of days, and I wrote a bunch of crappy songs. And, uh, you know, but there was some good, good substance in there. So I challenged myself to the next time I was going to have a writing session, break it down to a half an hour and see if I could write a song in a half an hour. And so, uh, of course, I went and did the same kind of thing. I had a whole lot of songs that I wrote. Most of them were crummy, but there was some, some diamonds in the rough in there. And, uh, you know, and then I got pretty good at writing, writing songs in a half an hour. And then I did it in 15 minutes. And then when my friends and I would sit, sit together for a writing session, uh, we could 
do stuff on the fly. Once we had a riff, uh, I could uh, I could bring lyrics pretty good, and so we would record our our writing session. And uh, you know, sometimes some good lyrics would just come out in flow. And in fact, a lot of good lyrics just came out in flow. And uh, then we worked uh, worked solos around things and kind of kind of changed our. Uh, our chord arrangements because we didn't want to be same old, same old. Because blues doesn't have to be that way. Blues has a blues has a pretty big umbrella that you can throw your throw your music under for some for a little shade. But uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's how we write. And okay. then uh, you know that's that's how I figured out how to write. That's that's where I get my inspiration from and and uh, I'm able to to get some of that stuff out lyrically and and in pick the rip and go now you know every songwriter has their toolkit that they like to use when they sit down to write you know some are as simple as a pen and a pad uh, others get a little bit more involved you know with their cell phone or home recording studio or they use master writer what is in your toolkit? What do you find important when you sit down to write songs? I think it's really important for if I, for me to have a pen and paper around at all times uh, that I can run to before an idea just slips out of my brain. Um, you know, some people uh, are good with having a phone and, and you know, recording memos. That's not me. Um, I literally... You know, if I come across a, a riff that I'm playing, I'll, I'll sometimes record a riff just so that I have that for reference so I can go back and, and shape something around it. But um, uh, really a pen and a pad, and then, uh, you know, that instrument sitting right next to me uh, is is pretty important because uh, I can work, work those things out, work out a... Uh, chorus maybe or a, a, a first you know depending on how I'm operating the riff but yeah that's that's pen and paper is pretty much it and yeah we I, I use my phone to uh, to record riffs sometimes um, and then I write those riffs down generally I do a chord chart and uh, and write stuff out that way Uh but uh, it's it's always good to have a recording of what what you're thinking. So I guess having a music, an instrument, something to record what you're playing, and um, you know a pen and a paper at all times, um, and really uh, listening, uh, listening to to music other than the music that I would normally listen to. I think that uh, sometimes I reach out on YouTube and go digging around in Spotify for obscure stuff because I don't want want my music to come out the same as everybody else's music. And uh, uh, sometimes I get ideas for chord changes and rhythmic changes and those kinds of things just, just by using my ears. Um, I've, I've listened to a lot of blues. Uh, I have a lot of... Um, uh, have blues vocabulary, but it's always nice to hear uh, where somebody might throw in a you know a reggae chop of some variety, or uh, you know, I, I I just 
I like a little something different in there, some kind of a a nuance, I guess. Uh, I don't know what else to call it. But yeah, so listening to recordings, which we have such a great collection of music out there in the world for us to listen to, um, a pen, something to record in your instrument, uh, and that's, that's pretty much what I use. Okay. Now, you know, um, a lot of songwriters, they, they get kind of hung up on rewriting and, and, and working a song, and they got to learn when is this song finished. How do you determine when a song is ready to move from the writing phase into production? Mm, I run it past people. I run it past my bandmates. Um... And I, I get whatever input uh, from my bandmates that, uh, uh, that we might, might be important. Uh, I make sure that uh, I keep the song in a fairly short pattern for recording purposes. So I, uh, I try not to write tunes that are, you know, like over four minutes too often. I, I feel like... Uh, people will go back and listen to that song again if they want to hear it, you know? Uh, and it's, it allows there to be a lot more variety and flavor on an album if uh, if you keep it short and sweet for some stuff. Um, okay. Now, let's talk about going into the studio. Um, when you work in that environment, what is what do you like to do to kind of capture your sound? Well, it's it's something that's you know you kind of have to find your way around in every single studio that you go into. And really, this was my first serious time spent in a studio. And so, to be honest, I I uh, I listened to the engineer. Um, I listened to what my producer uh, wanted to have done. And you know what they were trying to represent, and uh, I kind of followed their formula. But for a personal sound for me, uh, I I, uh, I have a collection of amps. I like to select uh, an amp that, in a studio situation, maybe uh, you know a smaller amp is what what goes on. I had a I recorded though with a uh, uh, with a fifty nine basement. I recorded with the uh, Vibraverb, and uh, those are both pretty big, good-sized amplifiers. And then I had uh, a Pro Junior, which is a little 12 water, uh, and uh, a little 5 water, which I should have had in the studio, which I didn't have. But uh, I have found that the smaller wattage uh, amplifiers have worked out pretty good for me. Uh, for both harmonica and for guitar, and uh, um, I usually keep them pretty dry. I don't add an awful lot of reverb to my my uh, or effects to my amplifiers tone because amplifiers have great tone all on their own. And uh, with piano, I, I prefer to play an acoustic piano, um, uh, but. Uh, uh, it's all pretty easy to manipulate once you get it into the 
uh, into the engineer's hands, and you can make it do pretty much what you want to. But uh, there were a couple of times when we passed directly into uh, uh, something that the engineer had to do guitar tone. And it wasn't a, a, a tough tough situation. We just wanted to fix something, picking something up, I think is what they said. And, uh, uh, you know, so they worked around, put some effects on it, and we had we had a good guitar tone that came out of that situation. I mean, vocally, vocally, I love these uh, Neumann microphones uh, that made it so that I could hear myself really well. And uh, my engineer set me up with some really good uh, headphones, uh, and... These microphones made it so that even at the very lowest dynamic tone that I could take my voice to, uh, that it would, I could hear it perfectly. Uh, I could then be able to manipulate my voice in that situation. And that, that is, was an unbelievable thing for me because I've never had that happen. I've never, never had a chance to really have some monitors in front of me all the time so that I could hear what I was doing. But to be honest, the microphone and the headphones in the recording studio really made a huge difference. And to trust that your engineer and your producer uh, are both huge things. And and, uh, my engineer, uh, a fellow named Dennis Carter, and my producers were my friend Jason Thomas, and my very good friend, Mr. Timmer Blakely. Uh, they're both amazing. They have amazing ears. They know what a, what, what a song is made of and how to build it. And uh, uh, even better than that, they can explain certain things to a dummy like me. So, yeah, to be honest, yeah, it's getting your sound in the studio. Uh, I, I would say get good engineer, number one. Uh, get uh, make sure that uh, you are like what your producer is doing, and uh, you know if if you believe in those two people, you're gonna you're gonna be doing good uh, because they won't steer you wrong. And uh, get behind some as good a microphone as you possibly can, and put your ear to what you are doing. Okay, put your ear to it. Now, let's talk about, uh, of course, you got to get it out, and you're working with um, Frank Rozak from Frank Rozak Promotions. That guy is amazing. Yeah, how does that relationship working so far? Oh, it's amazing. He's, uh, he, he's taken our album and, and uh, given it to so many people and just really put us in a lot of really great circles of musicians and listeners. And uh, I just, I can't thank the man enough. I think he's one of the most amazing uh, people I've ever met. And uh, I, I, I hope to be doing business with him for a long time. He, he has helped me out unbelievably. Okay. And the Sugar Roots is being played everywhere right now. Now, let's talk a little bit about the industry as a whole. Uh, we all know that going into the studio and recording a project today is not cheap. You know, hiring a publicist and and doing a radio promotion is is you know it takes some capital. Uh, and now 
we're you know we've been in this digital revolution now for over 20 years and what has happened is is the consumer is so used to being able to get the music at their fingertips you know it's it's no longer a product to them you know it's not something they go to the store and they buy they don't buy it online it's something now that is a service that they expect to be on their phone whenever they want it um, how has this shift in the perception of the consumer affected you as an artist? Well, when it comes to, to getting my art across and getting paid for it, uh, I haven't started streaming. We haven't started streaming uh, our, our music yet because uh, we feel like we would like to sell the album locally, on CD physically, and we are finding that people... Still, uh, especially people in the age group that I'm uh, that I'm selling my music to, for the most part. Well, I mean that's everybody, but at the same time, uh, there are people that don't have CD players in their in their world right now. And I feel like uh, you know when they decided to stop using that as a standard, they took out that last vestige that we have as as artists and musicians. Uh, that last tangible thing uh, that we could put in the hands of somebody. I mean, I don't know if you remember remember this kind of kind of feeling that feeling that you get when you got a brand new vinyl LP. You know, when you you carefully open that thing up and you look at the you read everything the the album art. Uh, you know, you read all the words to the song. You, you know, those are those things are there that. And, you know, you smell it, and it goes in your hands. Now, the only thing that, that we have as artists and musicians in general uh, is, is to, that we can, can put in the hands or make tangible our live performance and, uh, you know, a CD. But we're, we don't, not very many people have those CD players, so there's got to be some way to sell your album on a physical copy of some variety. I don't know if that's thumb drives or, you know, whatever. You know, something that you can put in the hand of your friend who you're selling your music to and say, this is for me to you. You can feel it in your hands. Go put it in your machine and make it do its thing and enjoy it. I feel lucky right now that, that we're able to put things out on CD still. Because people that do have an old car with a CD player in it probably will stick it in there and it'll never leave. So I feel like, uh, uh, you know, uh, that I, I, I think that we should have the ability to sell our digital copies uh, and get those to people without having to go through... Uh, you know, a giant streaming service. We should all be able to have our own streaming service. Um, I don't know if that's uh, the thing to do or not, but I feel like, uh, you know, I, I like the idea of, um, of some things with NFTs and that sort of thing, which I'm sure we'll end up talking about here in mere moments. Um, but I have to say that uh, uh, I... I I like the idea of having something that I could give to my person who is listening on the other end. 
whether that be a live music experience, which you ain't getting on a digital recording or, uh, you know, through a video or any of that. That live music experience comes from going to that spot, that venue, and, and listening to your band, that band, those people that you, and the, and the community that is involved around that. That is one tangible thing. The other tangible thing that we have the ability with right now is CDs or any other media that you can put something <coughs> on, put it on in somebody's hand and have them take it home and look at it, smell it, feel it, touch it, those things. That's all we have. That's the only connection that we really have anymore. Those two things. So, uh, you know, we haven't started streaming yet because we want to sell the physical albums uh, because that is who we, I mean, we feel like we can get it out to a demographic that makes it possible for that to happen. I, I don't want to go to, to Spotify or iTunes or any of those things yet. You know, I I want to sell this album from my hand and make the money back and then maybe stream when we come with the next album. Well, you know, um, I, you know, I grew up during the days. I'm an old guy. I mean, you know, my musical awakening was in the late, you know, mid mid to late 60s, you know, and, you know, through that whole era, the early 70s. You know, and, you know, vinyl was a big thing back then. You know, that was the only way to support it, you know, that, you know, support music. Um, you know, and I've repurchased my, you know, musical catalog, you know, several times over. I mean, I've gone from vinyl to A-track to cassette to CDs to downloads, yeah. you know. And now, I mean, let's face it, that tactile experience is gone. You know, the consumer today does not want to store the music on their shelf. They don't want to store it in their phones. They want to be able to call up whatever hits their whim at a moment's notice. The problem that streaming has right now is that when it was developed, it never really took into account the independent artist and paying them properly. Uh, the major record labels, they all have stock in these streaming services. All of the monies, if you really went to Spotify and said, how do you distribute out the money? How do you divvy it up? They wouldn't tell you. They're not going to tell you anything because they're a private company and they pretty much tell the independent artist, listen, take it or leave it. You know, it's this is what we got. This is what you get. You know, so what? You know, and that's it. You, there's no real bargaining power that the independent artists have. But we're now going into a new revolution in the industry with this whole blockchain technology. The same technology that has created cryptocurrency is now being used for the music industry. For example, um, this new streaming service, Audius, is claiming that they're going to give... 90% of the revenue generated back to the artist. Now, I just read an article recently where if you looked at the industry, the music industry, of all the money that's being generated, only 12% makes it back to the artist. It's all these middlemen that suck up all of this money. 
Uh, if you look at the sports industry, like you know the NFL, the NBA, fifty percent of the generated income goes back to the the athletes. So there's a huge disparity as an industry in the music business. And I think with this blockchain technology and the way the things are going now, that we're going to see um, the artists have more control, the artists having more transparency on how the money is being generated and distributed, and they're going to be able to get a, a better share of what is being generated. What do you think of that as being part of the future of the industry? Oh, I can see that happening, uh, and that's, it seems like a blockchain would be the best way to, to kind of keep track of that sort of thing. Um, uh, I believe that, uh, that, again, that there's possibilities that people will be able to just create their own streaming service in the future, and, uh, you know, then it's totally theirs, and totally, uh, you know, they get 100% of the profits, you know? I don't think streaming music is, is that that difficult of a situation for somebody to do, especially with technology improving the way that it does almost exponentially uh, on the year. And um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I feel like, uh, you know, there, there's going to have to be a new way to get paid. Um, I'm really enjoying... Uh, what what's happening as far as uh, being able to, to sell my the tactile experience uh, that people some people still are interested in and if it becomes and maybe it'll become a, a niche situation <laughs> that people buy physical copies of things anymore who knows if that's the case you know I think that uh, you know, well I mean be- we, we all know the consumer has embraced you know streaming. You know, even if you get someone who goes to your show and buys, let's say, a vinyl copy, they're buying it because it's a collectible. It's something that you sign and you get to keep. And, you know, and then, um, you know, the uh, they're still going to go out and stream it because it's easy. It's simple. It's, you know, the cars don't have CD players in it now, so they have no choice but to stream it off their phone if they want to listen in their car. You know what I mean? Which is the main place that most people listen to music as they travel. Um, And there are a lot of other ways in that this whole technology is going to be changing. Um, There's this other company that just came out, which is Royalty.io. And um, what they allow you to do is they allow you to sell to your fans a percentage of your streaming royalties. And this is really a way to change pennies into dollars. Uh, to give you an example, Naz just sold 50% of two songs, his streaming royalties to his fans. And I did the numbers. He has three tiers, and he, each token is, is worth 0.15% of his streaming royalties. And, you know, of course, there were other perks, you know, the, the big number ones had VIP tickets and a Zoom call with Naz and all that other jazz. But the bottom line is, is that you added up all the money that he would get from those two songs selling half of his streaming. 
it turns out it, almost $600,000 for two songs for only half of his streaming none of his publishing none of the sync rights nothing else just the streaming royalties so you know number one his fans now have a economic invested interest in getting his music streamed because the more it streams the more they get back and if it resells he gets a percentage of that resale um and plus, now he has 1,200 um, potential marketers out there pushing his music because they have a financial interest. What do you think of that as, as a potential, uh, you know, business plan? Well, does that mean uh, that his fans own his music and rights to his music? No. And no, that all they own is 0.15% of the streaming royalties of that song. Okay. They don't own the publishing. They don't own the song. They don't own the mechanicals. They don't own any of that other than 0.15% of the streaming royalties of that song. Well, it seems like if you could make $600,000 off that and it's a market in general that uh, you know you could buy and sell it as, as you would want to then. You know, with as many people as you want. It doesn't sound like a bad idea to me. No. And, you know, it's it's where we're headed. This whole thing with blockchain is that there are so many ancillary applications that it could be used to create a decentralized financial system that would not only affect the music industry... But I think it's going to affect the television industry, the, the movie industry. Any creative content is going to be um, is going to be infiltrated by this blockchain technology because it is so far-reaching that it's going to be almost impossible to to avoid. You know what I mean? So, if there were a school to go to out there. To uh, get into blockchain, what school would that be? Well, I mean, you can go to Udemy.com, uh, and what you do is you wait for them to, you know, put the, their courses on sale. They go on sale for like nine ninety nine, mm-hmm. you know, nine dollars and ninety nine cents. You know, if you buy them when they're not on sale, they're they're like a hundred, two hundred dollars. But if you wait till they go on sale for nine ninety nine, you can get some great courses on blockchain, NFTs. Uh, Clarion North does a great series of uh, of uh, tutorials on NFTs and so forth for the musician. Um, so that you know, he's a great uh, instructor on on Udemy. So that would be a good place to go. Now, you know, one of the other things that I noticed is that when the uh, pandemic hit. A lot of artists went on to the internet. They started to um, utilize their social media because, let's face it, they had time. They started taking pictures of their puppies, kittens, and babies and and started, you know, um, basically really working their social media, showing people who they are as people um, outside of the stage. You know, when they did a live stream, it was from their living room. 
You know what I mean? They got to see the potted plant in the and the in the treadmill that they use to hang their laundry on, you know, or whatever the case may be. Sure. You know, you know, they got to see that they were real people, that they didn't live in a, a gilded mansion, that it was a house just like theirs, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, people got endeared to that, and that has really uh, accelerated this world of content creation and social media marketing, where. We actually have this reality show mentality where the fans get to see the artists outside the world of music as as people. And I think that's going to fuel the marketing of the future is this whole thing with, you know, the, creating a sense of celebrity, creating this reality show kind of mentality with your social media. Uh, how are you negotiating this world of, of content creation now? Oh, uh, mostly I'm on just on on Facebook, uh, but I haven't thrown a whole lot of myself into into uh, social media. But I know that it's a huge thing. I do listen to to a lot of uh, my friends that uh, did that during and are continuing to do that during. Uh, uh, this pandemic, I have found that uh, it's a great way for me to help support uh, other musicians because there's uh, a lot of times a way for me to donate to the cause uh, and to uh, get some revenue to my uh, to my some of my favorite musicians and people that are doing what they're doing out there. Myself, I haven't uh, really tried to do that very much, um, although I have gone out a couple of times and. Uh, you know, down a half an hour or a piano or something like that going live just for the fun of it uh, or to make an announcement about gig or, you know, whatever. I, I use it to, I use social media to uh, get my gigs out to people's faces. Um, I have a, a fairly good patented method of uh, getting out to a lot of different groups and getting people who are involved in the blues community to come out and check us out live. And I'm using Facebook and to some extent Instagram and uh, uh, TikTok to to get my album out and to uh, let people know where they can buy the album, uh, which is at lightninginabottlerecords.com front slash store if you want a a physical copy. Okay. Well, you know, I I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there an Indie Blues double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. You may just want to turn it up loud, open the windows, and screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun. People, we're gonna have to get ourselves together right now. I wanna book it down. I got some friends to meet at the lair.
artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution.
the bill For I followed a woman My original sin I've been singing for my supper Never miss a meal Because it's truth in the heart of the beholder. 
People's talking about our love I'm hating our love Why did we have to part? Baby, why'd you break my heart? Well, people say love is the place to be Make you climb a mountain or swim the sea But this thing called love seems like hate to me Cause all it ever brought me was misery All love I'm hating all love Why did you have to go? Baby, why'd you hurt me so?
my love and put it to the test I saw some things that I never would have guessed Well, I've been down, but I'm coming back up again And I'm rolling down the open road Where my true love, she lies with
of whatever I can tell that you just don't care Trying to find the genie in a bottle Guess what? There's nothing there We all grind our way through the day-to-day routine Trying to find a way to stop living the dream Living the dream Every day Sucks the life out of your soul The dead end world makes you feel Like you got no self-control We all grind our way Through the day-to-day routine Try to find a way to start living the dream Living the dream moment you realize, how could there possibly be this many blues?
scale. Kinda hard 
pray you will have to oh, yeah. For days and days Days and days They got a killing the, the devil, day. baby Till the sun goes down Till the sun goes down They got a killing the devil, baby Till the sun goes down Good Lord Oh, 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 oh. The moment you realize, how could there possibly be this many blues? Born in Chicago, no silver spoon in my mouth. Born in Chicago, baby, raised in the dirty south. Born in Chicago, no silver spoon in my mouth.
was recorded earlier so the producer and cast didn't have to walk home in the dark.
longer have to hear the blues in a smoke-filled nightclub on the edge of town. It's a pleasant environment, but uh, but in the 21st century, uh, you know, you don't even have to leave the couch. Just turn on the TV and commercials or as theme songs, you will see and hear the blues are everywhere. I'm Elwood. But I see the press is not for me. I like to think free. I'd rather fix cars, my elbows in grease. Race around tracks or cruise at top speeds. My music up loud and groove in my feet. Roll the windows down and let everybody see. I got a little bounce, you can bounce with me. I could be a bartender, we could bounce to the beat. At the White House, you'll never find nobody like me. I'm a rocket like my pops, Kenny Blues, Boss Wayne. When I'm out in the bottom with the stars, when it rains, pocket full of change, popping champagne. Don't wanna be president, I say it simple and plain. Woo! With the world's crisis and all that stuff, it's cheaper eating money. It wouldn't be enough. 